Now, the Bible is not the Word of God. The Bible attests to the work and work, word and work of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's Word, His Logos, and He is also God's Ergon, God's work. Reading the Bible today on In the Shadow of the Cross. to another edition of In the Shadow of the Cross. I'm here once again with my friends Jim Durkin. Good evening. And Michael Harden. Bonsoir, monsieur. <laughs> oh, somebody's got some culture. <laughs> I'm just shocked it's Michael. <laughs> Starting off right now with a dig. No. Um, Fuck, my friend. <laughs> Amazing the difference between German and French. <laughs> we were uh, towards the end of the last podcast. We we were talking about um, something pretty interesting about how do we approach the scriptures. And of course, we all know Michael has invested years and years and years of study in the scriptures. And uh, and we were pondering how is it that you can approach the scriptures. Um, when you haven't had that many years of, of study, because one of the things that that we have to realize that sadly a lot of, especially evangelical Christians, don't understand is following Jesus is simple in, in the sense of you can read the Sermon on the Mount, love your neighbor, turn the other cheek, um, forgive, those kinds of things. Um, it's not easy, but it's simple. But approaching the scriptures is not and and one of the things uh, I, I've heard all my life, just, people would say, just read your Bible, you know, or it's in the Bible, read the Bible. Um, if you have questions, read the Bible. And the thing is that people don't understand is when you pick up the Bible, you're reading an ancient document. You're reading ancient writings from a different culture in a different place, a different country. And and it, it blows my mind that, you know, we, we have... We spend years in high school just teaching people how to read Shakespeare, which is in English, <laughs> and was written 500 years ago, um, and is somewhat in line with our culture, at least um, that, you know, when the United States was colonized, we come from that direction that the colonies do. And if that takes that much study, how much more something that's thousands of years old? So it's 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 pretty crazy and um ignorant for us to think that you can just pick up the Bible and immediately just read it and just immediately grasp it. And so I, I think what it is is people we've talked before on the past ones that we tend to read into the Bible our theology. So we think it's obvious. But if you haven't had that twisting up in in that kind of um, typical Protestant evangelical theology, I could pick up the Bible and not read anything that they're thinking I'm going to find when I pick up the scriptures. So I, I think this is a great conversation to have. So um, so basically, how is it that we can approach the scriptures in a in a life giving way? So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that out there to both you guys and whoever wants to grab it, go ahead with humility. Okay, <laughs> that's that's really good. <laughs> okay, into podcast. 
<laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Credits roll. We're done. <laughs> um, not, not as an answer, or certainly not as a complete answer. But I want to give a, a little bit of um, my journey in this. Uh, when I when I first uh, entered into ministry, pastoring or whatever, I would um, see a scripture when I was reading the Bible, and I, I, I would see a scripture that would jump out at me, and it was uh, a scripture that uh, seemed to prove, or or at least it seemed to highlight uh, what I'd been taught or what I'd grown up believing or whatever. And I could very quickly or very easily develop a message or a theme around that uh, scripture. And I could, I could usually, I knew enough of the Bible that I could usually pick out two or three or four more. Uh, and, and I could develop a message and preach a, a whole sermon on it. Uh, over time, I, as I continued reading the Bible, I began to see other scriptures that seemed to directly contradict what I had preached on or my my go-to scriptures or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And, of course, then I would read books where uh, wiser men than me said that the Bible never contradicts itself, you know. And so I was like, okay, well, it must not contradict really, but... Uh, I was left with the thought that, well, then I must not understand something. And I began to uh, develop a, a train of thinking that went something along the line, th these lines, that in order for me to understand what's being said here uh, in, in a go-to scripture, let's say that, um, I first of all had to understand the setting uh, and and the setting was not just the 14 verses before it and the 14 verses after, but it had to include who uh, was being addressed and what was the situation that was going on at the time that this particular stream of, of uh, thinking or scripture is addressing. Mm -hmm. And... Um, for a good long period of time, that was enough, if you will. Just find the cultural setting for that portion of Scripture. Uh, since then, I've allowed myself the liberty, if you will, to go back into, okay, now I know the cultural setting, that's good. Now let's take a look at the scriptures that seem to contradict or argue against this conclusion that I've come to. Even the conclusion I came to knowing the cultural setting and who wrote it and why he wrote it. The questions that were being asked or the practices, you know, of the, of the uh, religious group at the time or whatever. Now let's take into scriptures that seem to contradict that or say something different. So I, I now begin to weigh that out to, it's kind of like both sides of an argument, if you will, and come up with a, uh, at least for me, a much better conclusion 
And um, so that's, that's just got a little bit of my journey in kind of answering this. How do you, how does the average person, I'm not a high school dropout, uh, but I'm almost a high school flunk out. <laughs> you know, my, my grades were below the uh, average, let's put it that way. <laughs> And I did go to Bible college. I, I, I do want to put that out there. I did go to Bible college for one whole semester. And the dean of students uh, uh, informed me that if I wanted to come back next semester for on probation, I could. But if I chose not to, that that would be all right with staff also. So uh, that's my background. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Jim, I'm afraid to let you know we're going to have to drop you from this podcast now. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we 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 want intellectuals, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always weird to me when students come to me and they're they're like, uh, Mr. Rosser, I'm really struggling in math. I'm like, you are talking to the wrong person. I I bombed math so bad in high school. <laughs> Those. Uh, those that can't teach exactly <laughs> right <laughs> and and those that those that can't teach teach audio video yeah. or do yeah. or do podcast <laughs> right <laughs> so really right. some good seriously though some really good thoughts there jim on the uh, about the background and the culture and 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 um seeing it as even um sometimes as two sides of an argument um and and also not just looking at the 14 verses ahead and 14 verses after but but looking at the entire the entirety of of what's being written to whom what the situation is um all of that surrounding it um michael i, I know you've been taking a lot of notes so i'm i'm eager to hear your thoughts i just wrote out a 45 minute lecture <laughs> Right, right there. See that? That's a forty-five minute lecture. Well, see, and that's what happens when you have the guy who was in honor society in in the podcast. I, I never made it. Yes, I did in seminary, actually. I did. Okay. Wow. Um, so I what when I was listening to Jim, and of course I'm going back to to um, to when I first first I had to break with dispensational fundamentalism. Bill Gothard, yes. good. Um, you know that whole thing, right? That was hard and very scary. Mm -hmm. Then I had to break with evangelicalism. Um, but I, I, once I broke with fundamentalism, I, I think the only thing that I really had to, well, the two things that everybody has to work through is the question of um, eternal hell and then penal substitutionary atonement, which are the big things. Um, but I want to. I want to start. I think Jim brought up something that is so 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 important here. He started. He said. He said he realized there were contradictions. And um, we've now framed that. And I'm not sure if Jim did it or if you did it. But I think Jim Jim said it first that scripture is like having two sides to an argument, right? So then the question is, well, what exactly is that argument? What what is it? What are we given two sides of this and this? What is what is that? You know, and so um, uh, I I mean I know the answer that I've I've come up with, and we've talked about it o over the course of all this, and that's that the one that we know is the Father who has revealed Himself in the Son, and then in us by the Holy Spirit. This one God, 
is not like all the other gods, the gods of religion. And we know this. And we know that this God has no dark side. And so if we're, if we come to the biblical text knowing just that, that this God has revealed himself again in the importance of the cross and the forgiveness of the, just everything that goes with this. If we know that, then when we come to the biblical text, we can certainly see as we move particularly through first the Jewish scriptures, that there is a very dominant view of God, that God first has a, 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 a benevolent side, and then the, there's a dark side, you know. Um, and eventually that dark side, quote, gets separated off and called Satan, uh, you know, in later uh, Second Temple Judaism. And, um, uh, but, but then we're left with the eternal problem of theodicy in human history. Why is there evil in the world? Why did God make a devil? Ba 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 all that nonsense that goes with that. If we come to the biblical text knowing that we are looking for these traces of this shift in thinking from a Janus-faced or a two-faced deity to to like the like Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And this writer goes on to extol the mercies of God. That is a beautiful psalm. It, it, it's very uh, expressive, I think, of the kind of theology that Jesus had. You know, maybe not every verse, but certainly the vast chunk of it. So that's, that's the first. I, I better mark off these points. <laughs> I want to just run through a bunch of little things first. The the question uh, of uh, we asked, how do regular people read the Bible? First of all, um, the Bible is a collection of books that was put together by the Christian Church, okay? And that same Christian Church recognized that um, not well, at least until the time of the printing press, that people weren't literate, and so they needed to be told first the stories, and and then it, these were interpreted. And so you had the lectionary system. Certain s scriptures read every year, every three-year cycle, boom, boom, boom. And so it wasn't the Bible that was known, but rather this select group of texts. And then they were put into stained glass, so you had the stories being narrated. You know, then you had, you know, all the addition, of course, of the statuary and the saints and all that, the cult of the saints and the, and the cult of Mary and that kind of thing. But, um, and I'm not using cult in the bad sense, but in the proper technical sense. By the time we get to the printing press, and now these, like, Huss, who's translating the Bible into Czech, and Luther translating it into German, now this whole text is being put into a format for anybody that can read, which is still not a large percentage of the population, but it's certainly greater than it was in antiquity, right? You had a merchant class that could read, right? An upper class that could read. The poor, you know, didn't. Um, but the thing is, is now you have this text, and it's put into the hands of the people. The church at that time says, we're going to reject the Catholic Church's contention that, that the Bible's confusing, so they'll interpret it for us, and we just go with them. We're going to reject that. 
And we're going to put the hands of the Bible, the Bible into the hands of the people. But even the reformers, when they did this, they hedged their bets. Um, and uh, they are, they, I don't think it's, the Anabaptists are going to be a little different here. But with the magisterial reformers, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Bollinger, and others, um, Buber, uh, uh, you know, the, the big ones, Melanchthon, they hedge their bets, okay? Now, the way they hedge their bets is they hedge their bets, and this is especially interestingly enough true of Calvin when you read his commentaries. Calvin expressly says, I'm speculating here, or this is my opinion, you know, uh, when he's exegeting texts, uh, if, he, if, if, if it's a particularly contentious text. But still, the uh, confessions controlled the reading of Scripture. The Reformed Confessions, the uh, Book of Concord for the Lutherans, they controlled, they functioned like the church did. Okay? So, then you get to the 17th century, the Enlightenment, and now, for the first time, we start talking about the individual. There's really no kind, I mean, we, still, we do know of persons, but not the category of the individual, you know, the entrepreneur the explorer okay once this happens now you have groups of people who can choose to get together and do bible study volunteerism we see this in the puritan tradition we see it in the conventicle movement in sweden in the 19th century uh, this was a big part of the jesus movement when we got together we opened our bibles man and and we read these texts, and we talked about them, and discussed them, and what does, I mean, it was a great time, very, very fructifying time. But with volunteerism now, you've put the Bible in the hands of people, okay? And what's really funny is I, I play solitaire uh, on my phone. I don't do games except for, like, solitaire, and that's one of the games. <laughs> and every once in a while pops up this ad that says, God wants you to have a Bible on your phone. <laughs> and i think you you know not, not for nothing but i put a greek new testament on there so ha got you beat um, <laughs> um it's the problem that here's here's really what happens now is in the in america in the 1800s there arises in the rural uh midwest and south a real rebellion against the intelligentsia of the cities. It's the cities that are producing, um, you know, all the new technologies. And, of course, all the new crazy thinking is being done at the Harvards and the Yales and the, in the cities, right? And so the Midwestern, Southern volunteerism tradition in America rejects education. And there's a big battle over Sunday school for about 50 years and the, the, a large part of Christianity became uh, anti-intellectual. Interesting. Yep. Now that carried on into um, certain parts of fundamentalism, not all of it. In fact, the original fundamentals, the collection of essays by scholars that were gathered in volumes, there's 10 of them, uh, these are good scholars for their time. You know what I mean? They're intellectuals. Mm -hmm. But out of that comes a very, very vibrant anti-intellectual tradition, in particular uh, when it comes to Pentecostals, who believe 
that the Holy Spirit is their teacher. And any thought that enters their head by the Holy Spirit is, is true. And so you add all of this up, to, and, and what do you get? You get a Christianity where we tell everybody, dare to think, you know, dare to think. That's the Kantian motto. And, and on the other hand, we don't teach them how to think. Instead, we teach them what to think. That's good. Yeah, that is good. So um, I, that's enough of those points. I can get to some of these other points later. So it's interesting because um, that, that anti-intellectual stream, um, it's funny how it it can be anti-intellectual. And then what I've seen is, is yet pose as being intellectual at the same time. Oh, yeah. So it's 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 really an odd animal, you, you oh, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But it's it, it's interesting, and, and I have to I have to confess, I was of that stream for a season of my life, and uh, um, and then didn't like didn't, didn't like the fruit that mm-hmm. it was <laughs> bringing into my life, and uh, so basically, if if we have that that whole un- all this stuff there, all this history. And you've got the Bible sitting there on your desk, and you're going to pick it up and read it. Is is there something as far as, I mean, because, you know, somebody like me who doesn't read the Greek and things like that, is, is there some tips on, uh, other than humility, which, of course, is the starting point, as you said, um, is are there some tips you could give people on how to approach the scriptures that will bring them to a, a life-giving place? I could easily answer that, but I'm curious to hear Jim's first. Well, I'll start with, again, um, so obviously if you've been listening to our podcast for any length of time, uh, it becomes very blatantly obvious that Michael and I approach things from uh, from d- different avenues. Uh, on, on many things, we come together at the same meeting place. In other places... I keep my mouth shut, and sometimes he keeps his mouth shut. It's like, okay, if Jim wants to believe that, that's all right. <laughs> Lord help him see the truth. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I write about this in my book. Um, I came to a place where, and and I've had people say, well, I prayed that and nothing happened, or I've had other people say, oh, that's a dangerous prayer. But I came to the place, and I think because I meant it in my heart, I mean, I really solidly meant it, where I said to God, I said, Lord, I am I am just not smart enough to know what I believe is true and what isn't. So I'm going to give it all back to you. Everything I've ever been taught, I don't care who taught it to me, I'm giving it all back to you. And I'm going to place myself at the feet of, of at your feet, at the feet of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to let Him teach me. And I don't care how crazy it sounds, or how my early education would be yelling, or educators would be yelling and screaming, "No, no, no! It's not that way," you know, uh, because. If I can find more than one or two proof texts, if I can find the overview of of all scripture that is saying this is the way it is, not the way you've been taught, then I'm going to adopt that and 
I'm sorry, whoever of, uh, you know, my friends from certain circles that may offend, or it's not even necessarily about offending. Sometimes it's just, uh, becomes concerning to them. They think I've gotten off the path and, you know, and, and I'm on my way to the hell that, <laughs> you know, some of my former evangelical friends don't believe in that hell. <laughs> I, Say that tongue in cheek. <laughs> but I, I go I ahead. Really interesting. You and I literally physically, geographically, come out of that same Jesus movement. I mean, we were there. We yes, could have crossed yes. paths. You know, we've talked right. about this, right? That, that right. So we were being fed that same stuff, right? And all we go, and then we go through our, almost our whole life, Jim, and then we reconnect right, here. Right, right. And what is it we discover? We've both been looking for Jesus, and he found us. And, and he found us. Yeah. I, I remember one of my dad's better messy, I mean, he was a, he was a, a fantastic preacher, but yeah, there are some some messages that he, he just stand out in my mind over others, and I remember him reading from um, I believe it's Romans, where Paul says or or the writer of Romans, and I don't want to get into the you know the argument is it the argument or is it the answer, but. But Romans says, there is none that seeks after God. And I remember he, he camped on that portion of Scripture for 20 minutes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know you think you've been seeking God all your life and you finally found him. He wasn't lost. <laughs> none of us sought after him. He sought us. You know, yeah, and he yeah. first sought us on the cross. Yes. That's when he first sought us. And, you know, and, and, and I think until we come to that place, that this relationship with the Lord, and if I will, if you will, the relationship with the book that points to the Lord has to begin from the place that it's him, not us. Yes. He's the one that's going to give us the understanding. It's not going to. And as long as I hold on to, oh, but teacher so-and-so said this. And he was such a man of God. So therefore, what he said has to be God. Right. It's okay to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't know. And I will not hold it against him. I don't hold against my dad, who I love with all my heart, who was one of the biggest influences of my life. I don't hold against him some of the things that he believed that was put into him through his Pentecostal roots. Right. And okay, he taught him. Yeah. I don't believe some of those things. And you can... Um, send me a private text later and ask me what, and I won't answer you. <laughs> because I'm not getting into an argument. But the point is, I don't believe some of those things. Others I do. Right. But I believe them not because he taught them. I believe them because I believe the Holy Spirit brought those things back to me. And, and Jim, I love what you were saying of, of how you came to, to God and you were praying and just 
I give it all. I, I'm not going to hold on to anything. I lay it all down. Um, I know nothing, you know, starting at that point. Because isn't that the cross? The cross where, as Michael, as you've said, where all our God images die. Mm-hmm. It's like that. That's taking up. Yeah. That's going to the that's cross. Good. It's like it's like I've got all this baggage about who I think God is, but at the cross is where Jesus kind of blows all that up, all our theologies and stuff. And uh, and I love that that that's basically what you were doing. It's that's actually like embracing Him on the cross, going, I, I see you on the cross, and and I don't know now what I what I even believe anymore. So let's just start there. I, I like that. When we when we come to the cross, we bring our sins. <laughs> it's typical of Christians. Um, but it never occurs to Christians to bring their theology. As my professor Bernie Ram used to say, God has to forgive our theology just like he forgives our sin. That's wow. good. Yeah. And, and so when we bring our theology to the cross, we can also say it's this kind of theology that is exactly what got you killed, Jesus. It's the prince of the power of the air, this whole concept of God that's, that's out there in the, in the world, whether, whether Christian, Jewish, Islamic, or anything else. You know, it's, uh... you know Michael, let me re- uh, interject something. If I were pastoring a church, um, I'd take what you just said and preach on it Sunday. That's good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, but I was thinking back to what was it that, that set apart the Jesus movement? I mean, what, what was, you know, I mean, there were all kinds of things going on, but I want to read a text, and then I want to make two contradictory points. <laughs> After God spoke long ago in various ways and means, to our ancestors, through prophets. In these last days, he's spoken to us in a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he created the world. And then we move into this lovely, beautiful uh, section of a early Christian hymn or poetry. You know, Anybody that wants to read Scripture, first of all, needs to read the gospel. So if you were to ask me, what would I say to a regular person? I'd say, number one, there are four Gospels. You need to read them. Yes. Okay? Get familiar with them. Don't try to go, oh, my God, I have to do this. Just get familiar with what's in there. Get familiar with the figure of Jesus of Nazareth, as he's presented by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get familiar with that figure. Then I would say, what does that figure, Jesus, say about his father how does he describe his relationship with the father or the father's relationship with us how does he do that with what kind of language you know and then i would ask them um what was it that really gets jesus killed which part of his message is it that is so offensive you know and if they're clever enough you know, then they'll say, well, gosh, you know, his view of God is that God is better than that, you know, in a sense. His view of the Father, the Father's astonishing, not like the other gods. So when Jesus says, when you pray, say, Papa, Abba, sanctify, make holy your name. 
the Abba God, the Father, the, the loving, benevolent, caring, this merciful, compassionate, generous, you are engaged with us as a person, as a daddy. Hallow, sanctify that name, make that name, set it apart from all the other gods. But instead, what we do is we go, oh, well, the Father's in the Old Testament. That's God. God is the Father. And then there's Jesus the Son in the New Testament. And when we make that move, which everybody does in Christendom, we have now obliterated the revelation that is brought to the forefront here. God spoke long ago through various ways and various means to our ancestors, and one of those ways was through texts, first carved in stone and then written into scrolls. And those texts underwent constant revisioning. And in some cases, like Samuel and Kings, when those texts get rewritten as chronicles, they tend to exonerate God of a few bad things that are done in Samuel and Kings, right? Everything, I would say to the, to, I, I mean, I, for me, it's very simple. The gospel is very simple. It's the Father loves you and the Son and will show this to you by the Spirit and, um, and has reconciled you to himself so that you can be reconciled to everyone around you. You know, we bring the healing of, 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 of our relationship that has been healed by the Father into our other relationships, and we become healers and practitioners of peacemaking and all blah, 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 blah. I've kind of gone on long enough. I did want to... <laughs> have you guys ever heard of the Church Father Tertullian? I've heard of him. haven't yeah. had read anything by him. Yeah, unfortunately, he was a lawyer. When lawyers become theologians, it's usually a very bad thing. In the case of Jacques not so, but in the case of Tertullian and Calvin, yes. Um, Tertullian uh, did not like the theology that was being done in his day because it, Tertullian was a literalist. And, uh, and he wanted to know, what does Athens, that is Plato and Greek philosophy, have to do with Jerusalem, the Jewish scriptures? What does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? So the, the anti-intellectualism component, it's very ancient in, the, in Christianity. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I was thinking about how, um, for some reason last night I was thinking about, um, you remember uh, Jephthah from Judges? Yes. Um, and, and I was remembering how that passage left me horribly disturbed when I was oh. in high school. Oh. Uh, for those of you listening who may not be immediately familiar with the story, it's in Judges where this guy goes off and he's fighting a battle to for for the is for the Hebrews and and he's winning the battle and so he shouts an oath to God saying if you make us overcome this enemy when I go home I'll sacrifice the first thing that uh, comes out of the house to me and he goes home and his one and only child his daughter comes out of the house and 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 so he keeps his oath he, and it's very it's a very tragic and disturbing story because oh. he's going to sacrifice his only daughter and and so when you read scripture like I did back then with that flat reading that you're trained to, 
that every scripture is inspired by God. Everything that says God said, God said. Everything that God did, God did. And all the people were doing what God said to do and, and all this stuff. That scripture is extremely disturbing. Yeah. Because all of a sudden it's like, okay, so God wanted him to keep his oath and, and kill his one and only child. And, and, and so, but then as Michael is what you were saying, when you go to the gospels and if, 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 and this is a great risk for a lot of people, if you can unhitch the gospels from that view of everything's equal and instead let Jesus be God. Let mm-hmm. Jesus let Jesus be the exact representation of the Father. Um, then that becomes very freeing because then you start realizing, okay, wait a minute, I'm seeing a very different picture in Jesus than the God that Jephthah had, and and the God that Jephthah had looks looks exactly like what you were talking about, Michael. That that got the Jews angry at Jesus, a, a very sacrificial God, a very uh, um, a, a very power hungry God, and a very demanding God. And then when you yeah. see Jesus, he's so contradictory to that. So I mean, that's like an extreme example. But but I think that's why when when we try to have that all scripture is exactly the same and the, and and it's all what Jesus said is the same as what Joshua said and all that it takes us into some really dark places and it mm-hmm. and like you said it puts mm-hmm. us into the Janus face god place where we're now um god is a and and a, is very um has a has a very bipolar personality and oh. uh, and, and so but but it's that's why it's so freeing when you go wait a minute no Jesus has Jesus has spoken to us who the father is not not Jephthah yeah, yeah. not not Moses not <laughs> Joshua which a lot of Christians that what I just said is really rattling which is the same reason Jesus ended up on the cross because the very fact that he was saying no I'm the way to the father that was very disturbing yeah, the Bible is not the word of God the Bible attests to the work and work word and work of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus is Mm -hmm. God's word, Mm -hmm. his logos, and he is also God's ergon, God's work. He is God's action. Something you said earlier, Michael, and and I I totally agree with it. Uh, Perhaps I'll give a little bit of a different slant on it. You said if, if you start with the Gospels, Read it to understand it, not, oh, I got to do this. I got to mm-hmm. immediately start doing this because yeah, the Bible says to do it or whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, my little bit slightly different slant on that would be this that some time ago, several years ago, uh, I stopped identifying as a Christian. I mean, if people want to say, oh, I think Jim's a Christian or whatever, that I'm not going to correct them. But, I mean, I stopped identifying as a Christian and started identifying myself as a Jesus follower. Mm-hmm. And I, I think as I, I as I, if, if I were 50 years ago and I was starting over again, I was listening to this podcast and others alike, as I was reading the Gospels, I would intentionally, I'd set my intention on reading it to understand who Jesus is and in understanding who he is, seek to understand who a Jesus follower would be. What does it mean to be following Jesus? 
Okay, he said to uh, his disciples, "Come, follow me." You know, well, what does it mean to follow him? And in that, I begin to see that uh, I was thinking about this just the other day. It's interesting. You have some Jew Jewish people who are very familiar with Jewish custom, which included going to the house of prayer, which included perhaps praying three times a day. I mean, they, they had their prayers. They did, they did their pray thing, and they see something different in Jesus, and they come to him and they say, teach us to pray. You know, and I, I think the point being that if I want to be a true follower of Jesus, I have to understand that religion didn't teach me how to do that. It will never teach me how to do that. I'm going to discover that in Scripture. What so many of us have done, though, is because what Lauren said at the beginning, following Jesus is easy. Okay? And... And yet it's also very difficult because right. it goes against our whole, it goes, you know, it goes against our whole culture. Yes. And uh, to be a pacifist, for instance, goes against, to be a forgiving person, yes. to love our enemy, that goes against yes. our whole culture. Yes. That isn't something I do, that's something I allow the word, living word of God, Jesus, to transform me into, Amen. to follow him. I now, well, evangelicals are, we love reading Romans, I mean, uh, reading Paul and forming our theology around the things Paul says we're supposed to do. We do these things. Paul said to do these things. Treat people a certain way, uh, even gender and whatever. I don't see the remainder of Scripture, or the remainder of the New Testament, however you want to say it, I don't see that any longer as instructions, you know, basic instructions before leaving earth. I don't see, <laughs> I don't see that as instructions on how to, how to do church, how to treat people, how to do this. What I, what I now begin to see it as is apostolic fathers writing to very real situations and explaining how to manifest the love that Jesus taught us how to live in and how to follow Jesus in a given situation. So I'm sorry if you don't like this, but um, a lot of that's not applicable today. We live in a whole different culture. We live in a whole different world. That's right. But what is applicable is in everyday real life situations, there is a way to manifest God love. Not humanitarian love, God love. Yes. And we can only get that as we get to know Jesus and the Jesus that's revealed in the Gospels. Mm -hmm. That's really good, Jim. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Say law. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's really good. Yeah, because, I mean, it really does just boil down to, so when we talk about reading the scriptures, basically, you know, looking to Jesus as the pattern and the way 
to, to live. And then, of course, as we talked about when we talked about the Gospels, the cross being the the peak of that, of, of how to live. And then, and then when you're reading the scriptures, it's basically – now, of course, there's so much more we could get into. Uh, Michael, you talked about the, the two voices of revelation and religion. But on the most basic level, it's basically if – if you see that it lines up with how Jesus showed us to live, like you were pointing out the Psalms there, then embrace that. Live it. <laughs> so um, Luther said scripture has a wax nose, you know, and, and you can make it say whatever you want. That's a fact. When I started off by saying, uh, what do we need to read the Bible? I said humility. I really, truly meant that. Yeah. Um, I'm now 48 years at this. Two more years will be 50 years. Uh, I mean, I've I've read 10, 12,000 books, learned five languages, six languages, whatever. I've literally blood, sweat, and tears, you know, having to just work things through. And anyway, we we are at a a place in history that's being shaken. People don't have much choice. They can either go be Roman Catholic and just let the church handle all the theology and and just, you know, live the morality. Be good citizens, nice people, be nice. You know, Mr. Be, everybody goes up Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, you know, kind of thing, right? Or, um, and this is going to be very, very harsh. I would say people should, Christians should stay away from the Bible unless it's the Gospels. They really should. Because these texts are, um, they're not what the regular Christian thinks they are. God did not write them. They're, you know, they're there for reasons. They've, and, and, for, and first of all, translations are notoriously, uh, I mean, I could, I could give you a whole lecture on problem of translations, you know. Um, and the evangelicals who tend to do most of the translating work actually translate texts toward their bias. Mm-hmm. And so when you're reading the Bible in your English translation, uh, <laughs> you're not reading the Bible. You're, you're reading the lying scribes, <laughs> as it were, you know. Um, and so, so there's, there is all of that. Um, I hope the the Church of the Future um, will be a community of like-minded brothers and sisters who have chosen to live conscientiously together in grace and mercy and peace and love and forgiveness and all that, like that kind of we, idealistic utopian Christian community we always wanted, you know. But but we net we because we weren't committed to that pacifist peace. It was very, very hard when there were arguments and fights for the things not to blow up. I th- I'm hoping that there's that community of people because it's going to be a community of people who are following the path of Jesus, living his life, allowing him to transform them into his image and likeness, which means, you know, you're kinder today than you were yesterday. You're, um, you're, you're, you're gentler. You're, you're all the things that are important, right? That there's growth, there's real growth there. I think that the, um, I think there's going to be a, well, there's already a backlash against the academy and the churches. Look, I don't, I, I'm glad the church is dying. 
I'm glad. Because we're doing a piss poor job of educating the leadership. We're doing a lousy job of forming clergy uh, in the world today. Seminary I went to, I, I, I loved it. It was excellent. They um, they had, uh, they did, they, they really were shaping pastors there uh, at that time. That was Lutheran pietism. And then it became evangelical and they started just training businessmen and women to run these institutions, you know. Um, but we're, we're going to need to do Bible study together. And, and, and that means showing respect for everyone, but it, it also, I think, is, uh, it should not be a pooling of ignorance. Um, I was at a church in October. I went to the adult Sunday school class. It's a big circle, like 40 people. They have a Bible text they read. And then they asked the usual question, well, what does this mean to you? And they went around the room with all kinds of stuff, you know. Honestly, I really don't care what it means to you. I don't care what it means to Jim. I care to know how you read the text. What are you bringing to the text that gives you the right to say what you're claiming to hear from the text, right? What are the markers? Uh, but I'm not interested in people's opinions. And that's why I gave up on church, because mostly it was just theological flatulence. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you freed me to make a comment that it was in the back of my mind, but I was like, I don't know if I should say it. Um, part of my journey was after getting unraveled and, and when I was a youth pastor and stepping stepping out of that, I went through a couple of years where I, I put the Bible down for two years. Um, I, I wasn't mad. I wasn't bitter. I wasn't, I, I think the, the bottom line was, I was like, you know, I've been reading this my whole life. I mean, literally grew up in a Christian home. Um, from the time I could read, I was memorizing Bible verses and stuff, mm. but I felt like, am I even living this though? The, 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 as Jesus does loving my neighbor. Um, it's, it's kind of like, there's there's a thing because I was a Boy Scout and in Boy Scouts you learn a skill and then you use that skill. You don't right. just keep piling on learning more skills. You you know here's how to tie this knot. Here's how to tie that. You got to first tie the knot, then you move on to the next knot. Uh -huh. And I felt like my whole life when you and you've shared about this, Michael, with discipleship. I felt like my whole life I I was a good Bible learner, but mm -hmm. not a disciple. Mm -hmm. And and that's what shifted in me was it's like I want to be a disciple. I want to, I want to learn to love my neighbor, like really love my neighbor, not just, you know, like, like we're talking about the whole thing of, of not being violent means I can accept someone and love someone who has a completely different theological view than me. And I can still embrace him as a brother. And, mm -hmm. and that's one of even the areas where I have trouble that if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't agree with anything we're saying, one of the things we have to be aware of is, you know, we don't discount you as a brother or a sister. We do not do that. Um, we, we just see you as you're, you're just not us. <laughs> you're, you're different. Um, and, you're just and, the same. Right. <laughs> and, 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 but that's the thing that like troubled me is I've, you know, shared some of my views with people and then they, they've branded me as a false teacher and all that. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. no, we just don't have the same point of view. But, but that's the whole thing to me is, is if we're going to grow up is the, into, into his body and be the people that, that the church that he is looking for us to be, to, to be united, loving one another, united in him in a cruciform life, loving one another. That's what it's going to mean being cruciform is that 
is that I'm going to learn how to love you. Yes. Even if you're completely different than me and and have completely different political views and all that. And that's why the politic thing in church just drives me crazy because it's it's just people placing identity in all these different things that just bring nothing but but divisions, you know, rather than placing their identities in Christ and in the cross. But and that's the growing up I feel like we have to do is is embracing it one step at a time. Okay, I've got this. I, I like love how this this uh, one sister, um, Amy, shared one time. She was saying that, you know, she goes, she thought something was wrong with her because she would read, like, you know, a chapter in Matthew or something and be stuck there for, like, months. And everybody else is just reading on, and she's like, I felt like something's wrong with me. But she was learning to actually embrace that and live that and adopt that into her life. And so it's like, you know, it's good for her you know it's like that's that's the thing is it's like let's be like the boy scouts let's learn to tie the bowling in a bite before we learn you know go on to the square knot you know i have uh, not read the bible through in a year in 30 or 35 years i have spent sometimes the better part of a year in a very small portion of verses, sometimes two or three, just waiting to gain understanding. Mm. And I'm not saying I just sit there with those two or three and only read those two or three. I'm saying I will let that take me all the way through all 66 books and hours of just sitting in the presence of the Lord and saying, I'm not leaving this. This seems to be an important piece of the whole picture here, you know, a puzzle piece, you know, if you will. And this seems to be important, and I'm not leaving here until I get it, until I understand it. And 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 then I want to say, to me, knowing or understanding, if you will, cannot be a, a Greco form of, of knowing. It's mm-hmm. got to be that Eastern... I don't know it until I've become it. And and so it's got to work into my life. It's got to work, you know, I, I, I'm tired of having, you know, a head full of doctrines that I can preach at the drop of a hat. But I don't know how to live any of them, <laughs> you know? Excellent. Yeah, it's just, uh, I'd rather know a few things that I'm actually living and seeing the fruit of that in my life uh, and and the fruits always uh, the wisdom that it's from above is first peaceable. The fruit mm-hmm. is peace. I've got some peace in my life. You know, yeah. I'm not in turmoil here. And and you know, it's like somebody says, well, you, you, you know, you haven't read your Bible today. Uh, no, I didn't read it yesterday either because I I'm not being led to, you know, follow a script. I'm sorry. Uh, you know. Um, and yet, the truth of the matter is, I know on two different levels. On one level, as far as what's packed into my head, mm-hmm. my cranium knowledge, I know a lot of Scripture. On another level, I'm coming to know a lot of Scripture. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's changing me. It's making me a different person. Yeah. And uh, uh, hopefully the fruit of that is that my... 
uh, family likes the new person I'm becoming. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I said I would give you two contradictory things. One is that any anybody can go to Scripture, um, and if they are honestly say to Jesus, you know, hey, look, this is a confusing book, and I'm I'm not uh, going to go to Bible college or seminary, but I'm I'm happy to read in it and let you sh work with me, right? Um, fine. Uh, don't presume that you understand it. Just say, Jesus, I, I, you know, I read Psalm 103 and and I was just felt this you know, comfort, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great, great. Um, but the second thing I'd say is this. Um, if you are going to do any form of teaching in the church at all, you have to learn how to exegete texts. Absolutely, you have to learn how to exegete texts. And you, there's a there's a lot you can learn how to exegete an English text, but you have to learn how to read critical commentaries. This is obligatory. You have to understand the problems of any given text. Um, you know, and and then finally, I throw this into the mix. There's only three voices in Scripture. There's really a very minimal amount of the first voice, which is the voice of the victim of myth that agrees they deserve what they got. You know, it's, it's the wife that, when the police show up, said, no, I deserved it, I did, blah, 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 you know. Then there's the voice of Abel, which is a voice that says, hey, what you did to me, I'm innocent, like Job. But that voice also seeks vengeance. My, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Or Job says, I know that my Goel liveth, my kinsman redeemer. You know, the one's going to get blood. So those are the two voices of religion. And then there's the voice of the forgiving victim. So they're all victims. The victim of myth, whose voice will always be, I deserved it, I deserved it, I deserved it. The victim of of Texts in travail, not myth fully, but not yet gospel. And that's the blood of Abel, vengeful victims, yet declaring their innocence. And then there's the forgiving victim. It's all of this ties together and, and, and gives us the ability to see what the Judeo-Christian tradition is really doing. It's exposing the structures of human society that take life. And it shows us that that when God enters into our religious world, God does not enter our world as a God. God sheds all defenses as God enters our world. God is defenseless. Wow, that's really good. And we're actually at time. Yeah. But the, this was this was once again a, a phenomenal conversation, and and I could keep talking for another hour on this, just with uh, what Michael ended with there. Um, there. There's a lot there. It's just really good. I really appreciate you guys. Um, this um, just really enjoy getting together on these podcasts. Um, I hope everyone listening has also enjoyed this, and uh, we will catch you all next week. 